welcome to MD Notified, a pediatric podcast, your source for high-yield, evidence-based pediatric medicine. I'm your host, Christine Sufchuk, and today I'm joined by Dr. Day, and we are going to have a discussion about laryngotracheitis, or croup. Good to be back here. So in this episode, we're just going to run through sort of what croup is, how those kids present, and how we manage them clinically. So croup is an infection in the upper airway that leads to swelling and a barky cough. Infections of the upper airway are usually due to respiratory viral infections. In 75% of cases of croup, this is due to the parainfluenza virus, but other causative pathogens can include influenza A and B, adenoviruses, RSV, and measles. Most cases of croup occur in kids between the age of three months and five years, with a peak incidence in the second year of life. It occurs more commonly in male patients. About 15% of patients will have a family history of croup. The differential includes other causes of upper airway infections, such as diphtheria, epiglottitis, bacterial tracheitis, and haemophilus influenza, which used to be the most common cause of epiglottitis. However, since the H flu vaccine became widespread in the late 1980s, this has been reduced dramatically. Laryngitis is similar to croup in the sense that both are viral infections of the larynx that cause swelling and hoarseness. The difference is that croup has the added symptom of strider and or barky cough. Diphtheria is a very rare cause of upper airway edema and swelling. And since widespread vaccination, This isn't really seen, except in countries where vaccination is not routine. Symptoms include sore throat, anorexia, low-grade fever, and eventually progresses to upper airway obstruction due to the formation of a gray pseudomembrane. Another thing to exclude when considering a diagnosis of croup is to make sure there isn't any history of a foreign body aspiration. The clinical course of croup is typical of a viral illness. The first one to three days of illness, they'll develop cold symptoms, including runny nose, mild cough, and sometimes a low-grade fever. After that, they develop the upper airway obstruction and swelling. And so they start to develop symptoms of characteristic barky cough, hoarseness, and inspiratory strider. Symptoms are typically worse at night and with agitation. Every night will be a little bit better and usually the entire course of croup resolves within a week. Severe cases may include progressive airway obstruction accompanied by tachypnea, nasal flaring, retractions, and continuous strider. Croup ultimately is a clinical diagnosis, so you don't need things like x-rays or blood gases to make the diagnosis. You only need your history. However, if you do get an x-ray, An AP view of the neck will show a classic steeple sign or a pointed narrowing of the subglottic airway. Again, these findings on imaging aren't very sensitive or specific for croup, and it doesn't really change your management. A blood gas will typically be normal because it's the upper airway that's the problem in croup. Our management for croup varies depending on the patient's severity. Most kids can be managed at home, but for those who can't, airway management is the main focus of therapy. And one of the things that we do first in the emergency department setting to manage an airway is racemic epinephrine. We will give nebulized racemic epinephrine 
to a patient to cause constriction of the arterioles in the swollen tissue in their airway. That constriction of those arterioles leads to fluid reabsorption from the interstitial space, which in turn leads to less airway edema and easier work of breathing. The racemic part of racemic epinephrine refers to the fact that we administer equal amounts of L and D isomers of epinephrine, which helps to decrease the side effects of tachycardia and hypertension associated with using a pure L isomer of epinephrine. You'll want to give racemic epinephrine to children who have strider at rest, respiratory distress, or hypoxia. You'll want to start off with 0.25 to 0.5 mLs mixed into 3 mLs of normal saline, which is then nebulized as frequently as every 20 minutes. The effects wear off after about 2 hours, so if you're in the emergency department, you can watch them for 2-3 to three hours after administering it to make sure that they don't need another dose. Another mainstay in the treatment of croup is oral corticosteroids. Corticosteroids are great because they reduce inflammation and edema in the airway, and their use is associated with lower rates of hospitalization and intubation in patients with croup. Typically, we'll give dexamethasone or prednisolone to these patients. A study done in September of 2019 compared three groups of patients, one that got dexamethasone at 0.6 milligrams per kilo, a second group got dexamethasone at 0.15 milligrams per kilo, and a third group got prednisolone. They tracked these groups and looked at how many of them represented to medical care within the next seven days following administration. And they found that really all three of these options um, are pretty equal in terms of their efficacy and their safety. Reattendance across the board in all three groups was anywhere from 18 to 21%. One thing to note about steroids is that they're not perfect. Their effect is not immediate and they can take up to six hours to see results. So that is something to keep in mind when you have a sick croup patient in the ED. Sometimes you should do racemic epinephrine first to manage their airway and then oral corticosteroids once they're a little bit more stable. So when do kids who present with croup to the emergency department need to be admitted? This varies from institution to institution, but in general, in cases where kids have persistent respiratory distress, hypoxia, or require multiple doses of racemic epinephrine, those are the kids who you may want to think about admitting. However, there were several studies looking at what a hospital course looks like in patients who are admitted with croup. In one 2019 study, 75% of patients admitted with croup received no additional significant interventions after time of admission. Another study in 2014 found that over 50% of croup admissions didn't require additional racemic epinephrine after admission. Predictors for prolonged hospitalization included hypoxia, tachypnea on initial vital signs, and a history of intubation. Overall, for most kids who get croup, the course is relatively benign and resolves after a period of about one week. However, for kids who have known congenital upper airway malformations or have had prior ENT surgeries for upper airway malformations, those kids if they get croup can have a critical airway and so you'll want to think carefully about admission and subspecialty evaluation for those children. We hope you enjoyed this MD Notified episode about croup. 
Dr. Day, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to MD Notified, a pediatric podcast. References to the information sourced in this episode can be found in the Quick Notes outline, which is available on mdnotified.com. The contributors to MD Notified have no financial disclosures or conflicts of interest. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals in today's episode and do not represent any other organizations or its employees. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. This podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice or services. If you are a member of the general public and have questions, please make an appointment with your local board-certified pediatrician.